Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Have any of you ever heard this statement? Everything in the Bible is true, but some of the truths in the Bible are more helpful than others. Ever heard that? No? Okay, well, how about this? You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That's true. It's in the Bible. It's in Exodus chapter 23, 19 and Deuteronomy 14, 21. I'll be honest with you. I haven't found that truth particularly helpful in my life so far. Um, and, and here's my point. There are points of Scripture that are help, more helpful than others. Jesus said this. I, I didn't make this up because somebody came to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, What's the most important truth in the Bible or what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus didn't hesitate. Without hesitation, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see what Jesus was saying? If all the truth in the Bible was equally important, then he would have said, well, it's all important. I can't just pick one out. But he didn't say it's all equally important. He said there's one thing that's more important than anything. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And there's a second thing that's almost as important as that. That's love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said all the law and the prophets, in other words, the whole Old Testament of this book, because the law and the prophets are what we would call the Old Testament, hang on those two commands, to love God and love others. So that's the most important truth. Now, why do I bring that up? Because today we're going to talk about a truth that if I were rating truths in the Bible, I would say it has to be in the top 10. Because what we're going to talk about is Jesus showing us how we can win the war over temptation in our lives. I think that's in the top 10 most important things ever. Okay, so here, I'm going to prove it by saying this. How many of you have ever, in your life, ever been tempted to sin? If you've ever been tempted at least once, would you raise your hand and keep it up? Whoa. Okay, keep them up, keep them up. Now, here's the next thing. If after being tempted to sin, you have never sinned, you've never sinned, then keep your hand up. You've never sinned, keep your hand up. Wait a minute, you've never sinned in your whole life. He's joking, okay. You bunch of sinners, look at you. Every single one of you is a sinner. You just said that, right? We're all sinners. I put my hand down too. Every single one of us has sinned. You see, the key thing here is we're going to talk about how to overcome temptation and Jesus is the only one who can teach us because Jesus is the only one who never sinned. Jesus was born without sin. He grew up without sin. He had brothers and sisters, but he never picked on them, apparently, because I think that's a sin. I mean, I used to punch my brother. I know that was a sin, right? He never did any of that stuff. And then he died on the cross without ever having sinned. And that's a really important thing because Jesus came to rescue sinners. And if you're a sinner, you can't rescue a sinner. Jesus was perfect. He is perfect still. He's the only perfect one. Now, I know some of you think, well, you know, when I came out, of, you know, when I was born, I was a cute little one. Well, they're all cute when they come out, right? But let me ask you this question. When they're about two years old, Okay, do you hear them going around going, it's yours, it's yours? <laughs> no, it's mine, it's mine. What's mine is mine and what's yours is mine, right? That's how it works. 
We are selfish. That's a sin. We are sinners. So if we want to overcome sin, we have to first deal with temptation, which is a push towards sin, which comes from the devil and it comes from his demons. And actually it comes from inside of our own hearts. So that's why I think this passage and this that we're going to look at today is so important. But here's the thing. Adam and Eve were the first two people. They were perfect. God created them perfect. They hadn't sinned. There was no sin in the world. And God had told them, basically, all they had to do was follow one rule, and they could stay in the garden forever, and they could be with him forever. It was with him and with each other, and it was perfect. But for some reason, that wasn't good enough. And so they decided to change the rules. They decided what they were going to do was they were going to be in charge. They were going to be boss. They were going to be God, really. And as a result of that, they ended up being cast out of that perfection. And sin entered the world. And sin has had its impact down through the generations. And in fact, it's had such an impact that people don't even know the point of life anymore. It's like if we cleared all the chairs out of this room and I handed some of you footballs and some of you um, tennis balls and all of you helmets... And I said, let's play. And you go, well, Chris, what are we playing? You know, how do you score? How do you win? It would be absurd to play a game and there was no rules and there's no point and there's no purpose. And so people make up a purpose for life. Some people say the purpose of life is to get the most stuff. Have you ever heard the one who dies with the most toys wins? I've heard the one who dies with the most toys still dies. Right? Okay, so, but that's, some people think getting the most stuff is, how, is the point of life. Some people the, think the point of life is having the most power. I'm going to be the most powerful man in the world or woman. Some people think that the purpose of life is just being happy. I'm going to go around with a smile all the time, and then that's the purpose of life. The psychology area of the world tells us that all of life is a, a battle to seek pleasure and avoid pain. That's what we do. We seek pleasure and we avoid pain. And then along comes this guy named Jesus a couple thousand years ago. And he said, hey, excuse me, I'm the son of God. And I have the real purpose for life. And in fact, I have the key to a life that he called abundant life. In fact, he gave us a new word, zoe. It's God life. And God life is putting God first, loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other. That's the purpose of life. And if we want to live with that purpose, then what we're going to have to do is overcome temptation to do the other things, to be selfish, to be happy all the time at any cost, because it's hard to be happy all the time at any cost. In fact, it's impossible. So we've dedicated 10 weeks here at New Life to figuring out how we can live more like Jesus because if Jesus is the standard, if Jesus sets the meaning and purpose of life, then we want to be like him. And so two weeks ago when we started this series, we said, we read a scripture that said, Jesus said this, a student is not greater than his teacher, but it's, you know, when a student's fully trained, he can become like the teacher. So we set the standard, we want to be like Jesus. We can't become better than Jesus, but we could become like Jesus, and that's the goal. And then last week we talked about baptism because what we're doing is we're sort of following Jesus' public ministry. The first thing that Jesus did publicly was he got baptized by John the baptizer in the Jordan River. He went down, he was baptized in water, and then he came out and the Holy Spirit came down, rested on him visibly, and then the skies opened up and the Heavenly Father said, this is my loved son whom, with whom I'm well pleased. 
And that's where we left it last week. And you know what's really cool? From a pastor standpoint, 11 of you signed up to be water baptized after the services last weekend. That's really cool. In fact, we're going to have baptisms on March 8th and 9th, which is a Saturday and Sunday. We weren't going to have them until later, but we don't want to have like 100 baptisms by the time we have our baptism service. So we're going to have baptisms because you all want to be obedient, and we want to help you do that. So what happened after Jesus was baptized? That's what we're going to talk about today. And the take-home point, and for those of you who are first-time guests, we seek to make one point every week. And everything I've said so far leads up to that point. Everything I'm going to say after this leads to making that point clear. And here it is. When Jesus dealt with the devil, which is going to happen right now, he's baptized and he's going to go out for 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. He didn't argue with the devil. He quoted. And what did he quote? Scripture. That's, that's the take-home point for today. If we're going to understand that take-home point, what we have to realize is immediately after this amazing, we would call mountaintop experience, this glorious experience where Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes and God affirms what he did, the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness or the desert for 40 days of being tempted. 40 days. Now, there's a, there's a principle here. Would you say that it was a good moment for Jesus when God said, this is my son. Do you think that would be a good moment? I think that would be the best moment in my life. If, the, if right now, audibly, God said, Chris is my loved son, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with him, I'm pleased with him. Well, it was a great moment, but immediately after the great moment, he's tempted for 40 days. You see, we think we're tempted in the down points of our life, and we are. You think we're tempted when we're depressed, and we are. But many times, we're more tempted in the good times, in the high points of life. Some of you came to the, a lot of you came to the marriage retreat that was here Friday and Saturday, and you went away, and as you were going out, I said, what was it like? Oh, it was great, you know, and their renewed sense of love for your husband or your wife, and, 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 you, and you're, you're ready for your marriage to be the best it's ever been. I have some news for you. The devil doesn't like that. The devil is going to put some pressure on right now, so be ready for it. Because if we're not ready in the high point, what happens is we fall. And the, the goal here is to win the war over temptation, not to succumb to it. So before we get to this Matthew 4, which is where we're going to go today, I want to make a distinction between temptation, testing, and trials. What's temptation? Temptation is when the devil or one of his demons or even ourselves prompt us to sin. Being tempted is not sin. In fact, Hebrews 2.18 says this, Jesus was like us in every way, tempted like us in every way, but without sin. Sometimes we're tempted and we think, nobody ever has gone through what I've gone through. It says Jesus was tempted in everything. If you've been tempted for, to do something sinful, Jesus was too. The difference is Jesus didn't sin, so it's not a sin to be tempted. Now, what, what's a test? A test comes from God. James, the book of James, which James was Jesus' brother, and he wrote that, the, that God never tempts us. He's never tempted, and he doesn't tempt us. But sometimes God tests us to prove our faith, to strengthen our faith, to deepen our faith. Probably the most extreme test I've ever heard of was when Abraham was tested to sacrifice his only son. I mean, that would be a major test, and he passed the test. Some of our tests are, are going to be little, simple tests. You know, we, we find a $20 bill on the floor right by the offering box. And we go, wow, man, I'd like to go out to lunch today. 
But somebody probably wanted that to go in the offering box. Now, that could be a temptation and a test, couldn't it? You see, because that could have been from God to, get, to prove our faith, or it could have been from devil to get us to put stuff before. But So test, temptation, they seem similar, and if you always want to be happy, they, they feel the same. Whether it's a temptation or a test, it feels the same because it's not going to make us happy. That's how you know that it's a test or a temptation because we're going to struggle. Then a, then a trial. What's a trial? A trial is the result of living in a fallen world. After Adam and Eve sinned, sin just sort of mushroomed. And so we live in a world with disease. Did you know that Adam and Eve had no diseases in the Garden of Eden? Disease came as a result of sin. So cancer is a trial. Disease is a trial. Accidents, those are trials. Losses, those are trials. Natural disasters, those are trials. They're just a result of the fact that the world is not perfect anymore. It never will be until Jesus returns. And so be, even though we love Jesus, even though we might be spirit-filled people, we're going to experience trials in our life. So temptations, trials, and tests. Those three things happen to every, every person. Actually, every person, whether we're a believer or not. But only believers can really overcome temptation because it takes the Spirit of God in us to do that. But let's turn to Matthew now, chapter 4. Verses 1 to 11. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to it because there may be some things you want to mark down. If you, have, uh, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. This is what happened to Jesus after he was baptized and had that glorious moment with his heavenly Father. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example from Jesus' life that shows us how we can overcome temptation in our lives. I pray that you would use these words of Jesus to impress on our hearts how important it is to use that weapon that you have given us to overcome temptation. And we pray that you will do that in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, did you recognize the weapon that Jesus had in the desert? This isn't it. This is a sword. It's a real sword. It will cut you. Okay, but it isn't what Jesus had. I love this sword. It's mine. Um, and I brought it as an example, an illustration. Because what Jesus did have is this, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, what, what am I talking about? Well, in Ephesians, a, a letter that's in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote that we have armor. And the armor, he uses the imagery of a Roman soldier. And he says we have a helmet of salvation. It's not a real helmet, just like it's not a real sword, okay? It's a helmet 
but it is real. It's a spiritual helmet that protects us. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have all this armor. And, and the interesting thing, I never said this in any of those services. This is bonus, okay? If you have the armor on and they're facing the devil, the devil can't hurt you. But if you turn this way, there are no butt guards. The devil can get you. So you never let the devil get behind you. Always keep your face to the devil, all right? But defensive armor on the front. One offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon we have. Now, here's something. It's so important. It's going to be up on the screen. I want you to see it. It says the only weapon we need and the only weapon we have in order to win the war over temptation is the Word of God and the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Would you please say that aloud with me? The only weapon we need and the only weapon we have in order to win the war over temptation is the word of God and the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you came in, maybe you already knew I was gonna talk about winning the war over temptation because you were here the last couple weeks and you were thinking I was gonna have some magic sword that would just take away all your temptations. I don't but I have something better than a magic sword. I have a real sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, let's go to what happened to Jesus. First thing, he went out into the desert to be tempted, for, or, well, tempted, but to also fast and pray for 40 days. We're told that he didn't eat or drink anything in one of the other Gospels. I want to tell you something, that's impossible. To not eat or drink for 40 days, you cannot eat for 40 days. Most of us could stand that. But to not drink for 40 days is impossible unless the spirit of the living God does something amazing. It happened to Moses, it happened to Elijah, and it happened to Jesus. But it doesn't happen very often. But after that condition, we're told that Jesus was hungry. He was really hungry, and the devil came up to him, and he offered Jesus a physical temptation. This is the first level of temptation. He took a stone. I've never been to Israel. I know Mark has, and out there in the desert, there's supposed to be these stones that look like loaves of bread, and he said, if you are the Son of God. Now, in our English Bibles, that's a question. If you're the Son of God, I really don't know if you are. But in the Greek Bible, in which this was recorded, it's not a question. It's a statement. If you're the Son of God, and I know you are, the devil knew that then take this stone and turn it into bread. I think you could figure it out even if you didn't have a Greek Bible because if you're not the son of God, is it a temptation to turn a stone into bread? It's never been a temptation for me. But if you are the son of God, then you're hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days, and the devil says, here, take this stone and turn it into bread. That's a temptation. We don't know that temptation, but we know a lot of physical temptations, don't we? There are a lot of physical temptations. There's all this temptation all the time to ingest stuff into our bodies that we shouldn't put into our bodies. There's all this temptation all the time to take the good gift of sexuality that God gave us and turn it into something that it was never intended to be. There's all this temptation all the time to take good stuff to eat and to eat so much that it becomes bad for us. I mean, we could list dozens and dozens of physical temptations. Jesus' response to the physical temptation of turning a stone into a loaf of bread was an interesting thing because it wasn't only a, a scripture, but it was a scripture about scripture. He said this. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isn't that interesting? 
We don't live by bread alone. We don't live by sexuality alone. We don't live by ingesting substances into our body alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if we want spiritual food, then right here it is. And the interesting thing is, you know what happens when you succumb to temptation? You feel guilty, right? I challenge you to read your Bible an hour every day this week, and when you're done, ask this question, do I feel guilty? I've never felt guilty for reading my Bible. You can't feel guilty because it's right to do. It's a right thing to do. So anyway, that's the first one. The first temptation comes. The first temptation is down because Jesus didn't argue with the devil. He didn't bargain with the devil. He quoted scripture and he moved on. So what happens next? The devil takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, this is a pretty amazing thing because Jesus had come to do what? Save the world, right? Jesus had come to take sin out of the world. Jesus had come to renew people. But before you can do that, you have to get some people to follow you. If you want to be the Savior, if you want to be the Master, the Lord of everything, then you got to have some followers. And so Jesus doesn't have any followers yet. So the devil says, hey, guess what, Jesus? I know Scripture, too. And he puts him right there. They're standing on top of the temple. There's all these people down there below watching, you know. And the devil goes, listen, listen to this. This is in the Bible, Jesus. It says this. The scriptures say, if you would jump off here, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So get the picture. We're all standing down below. Jesus and the devil are up there. The devil just quoted that scripture to Jesus. And what he's saying is, Jesus, jump off. And when you just get like this close to the ground, these angels are gonna appear and they're gonna grab a hold of you and they're gonna save you. And what are the people gonna do? I mean, let's see that again. I never saw anything like that before, right? We're going to be impressed. We're going to say, you know, we're looking for the Messiah. Could the Messiah do anything better than jump off the building and not be killed? I mean, you, you expect him to be splattered on the ground, and there he is. These angels are right there. Pretty impressive. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you must not test the Lord your God. Huh. Now, you say, well, Chris, I wasn't tempted. I'll never be tempted to go, like, to a bridge and jump off and have angels protect me. No, but will you ever be tempted to do this at, at work? Will you ever be tempted to overpromise when you know you can't deliver so you can get a following? Will you ever go to a group of people that you want to be your friends and you'll say, I'll do this when you know you can't do it? You know, will you, will you be tempted to call on God to do some amazing, miraculous thing? And, and you know, God could do some amazing, miraculous thing, but why? For a shortcut. You see, all temptation is a shortcut. There are, there are good things that Jesus wanted to do, and the devil knew what the good things were, and he wanted to keep him from doing the good things, so he said, I'll give you a shortcut. The shortcut is jump off. Jesus wouldn't take the shortcut, so he won again. So then we go to the third temptation. The devil, now he's thinking, okay, i got to go to Jesus' main purpose here. His main purpose is to save the world. He came to die on the cross so that people could be restored to a relationship with God. I have to stop this. I got it. He takes Jesus and he puts him in a high mountain where he could see all these kingdoms of the world. And he says, Jesus, didn't you come to save the world? I'll tell you what, I'll give you a shortcut. If you bow down in front of me today, you won't have to die on the cross. You won't have to experience any of that pain. You won't have to go through all this problem of getting disciples and having them disappoint you. You won't have to have somebody betray you. You won't have to have somebody lie to you. You won't have to have any of that. All you do is you bow down in front of me. It's yours. Because it's mine, right? You know that. 
For now, it's mine. And, 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 and Jesus, he says, get out of here, Satan. Get out of here, Satan. Because the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now that's one worth remembering. You should put that one in your top 10 of the verses that you remember because the devil is always gonna tempt us to worship something other than God. The main thing he tempts us to worship is the person looking back at us in the mirror when we get up in the morning. We're gonna be tempted to worship us. Then we're gonna be tempted to worship somebody else, some family member, some person at work, some superstar. We're gonna be tempted to worship stuff. We're gonna be tempted to worship recognition and power. But the devil knows if we would just bow down to him, we're done. And if Jesus had bowed, just think about this. If Jesus had said, hmm, shortcut, no cross, no beating, no, none of that stuff, and done it, his ministry was over. Only a sinless man could have died on the cross for us. And if Jesus had bowed down in front of Satan, he would have been an idolater. He would have been a sinner like us. And he couldn't have died for us. Thank God that Jesus didn't succumb to that temptation. He started out his ministry with a high point, and then he went to that 40-day testing period, and he won. And we're told that after he won, what happened? The angels came and ministered to him. And one of the other gospels say this, and the devil left him till an opportune time. That's what the devil does. He doesn't give up. He just waits a little longer. He waits for a little while. I imagine that the devil was certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was sweating blood and struggling with whether he would die on the cross the next day. I'm sure that the devil said, hey, I'll give you one more chance, Jesus. You just bow down. That's all you got to do. Bow down in front of me right now. No cross. Still on the table. And Jesus still didn't do it. Because Jesus is, was, always will be perfect. And thank God for that because that's why he can be our Savior. Now, You've been hearing me say the devil quoted, or Jesus quoted scripture to the devil. Jesus quoted scripture to the devil. And you're saying, I can't memorize scripture, Chris. You think that this is my sword. Well, I'm in trouble because I, I can't do it. Now, here's what I know. Some of us can memorize easier than others. But, the, but Jesus, in this book, in John, the Gospel of John, he said this. When the Comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will bring to your memory everything that I have done. Now, he was talking to apostles who had actually seen Jesus' life and ministry. You know, sometimes you've, maybe you've wondered, how in the world did these guys remember everything Jesus said and did? Well, it's simple. The Holy Spirit brought to their memory what had been done and what had been said. So what about us? We haven't seen Jesus do things. We haven't been there. It's 2,000 years ago. Well, we have this book. And when we read this book with an intention of learning it and with an intention of growing in our faith in Jesus Christ, what's gonna happen is when we need it, it will be there. I can promise you that's true because I've seen it happen in my own life over and over and over again. And not always just in times of temptation, but sometimes somebody will come to you and say, I'm really struggling in, in my life with this particular thing. Can you help me? I saw this happen yesterday. It was so cool. I was with a couple, a couple of guys, and we were trying to help out this other guy who was having real struggles in his life. And this young man said, you know, in Romans 5, 1, 2, and 3, it tells us that we have to persevere. And if we persevere, you know, our hope is not going to disappoint us because it's in the Spirit of God. And I was like, where did you learn that? I mean, I, I knew that already, but where did you learn it? He said, in a Bible study that you taught. 
I was like, yes. You know how good that makes you feel when somebody actually pulls out the sword at the exact moment when it's needed? He was able to do that because the Spirit of God was working in him. And that can happen to all of us. We might not be able to quote chapters or whatever of the Bible, but God will give us the verse that we need in the moment we need it in order to gain victory if we're committed to him. Now, there's something else that's very important about temptation. There are probably thousands of temptations. I never tried to count them all. But I know this about you and I know this about me. We will be tempted most in the area of our greatest strength and the area of our greatest weakness. My greatest weakness is, is inappropriate anger. All my life, that's been my struggle. All my life. If I'm going to sin, it's probably going to have something to do with inappropriate anger. So on Thursday, it was a really tough day, a stinking tough day. And uh, I was not particularly happy, I'll just tell you that. Okay, and I had to go get gas in my car, and when I pulled into the Sarver get-go, there was only one of the, you know, all the pumps they have, there was only one that was open was the, the diesel, where the diesel one is, you know, so I pulled in, and I'm starting to pump my gas, and this guy comes in this big dually, you know, diesel pickup truck, and he, he kind of comes like this close to my car on an angle, and he gets out and starts screaming at me. I mean, he was using some words that I never heard because I'm a preacher, Actually, he was using words that I've heard a lot because, you know, I'm, I've been alive for 56 years. Anyway, he was not happy. Let me just put it that way. He was not happy at all. And he was telling me, you know, this is only diesel pump here. Don't you know this is only diesel pump here? And five years ago, I would have said, well, I didn't see your name on it, bud. Sorry. But I didn't. I just pulled out my sword. No, not this sword. I pulled out this sword. And in my heart, I said this, in all things, do to others what you would have them do unto you. This sums up all the law and the prophets. In all things, do unto others. So I, I knew if I was that guy, that I would want to be shown grace. So what I did, I just looked at him. I didn't say anything. Because saying anything would have been the wrong thing to do. I just, in my heart, I just went, boy, Jesus, I'm so glad that you said in all things. Because this is one of those all things, you know. So I pumped my gas, I got my receipt, I got in my car, and I drove off with a smile on my face. Because test, tempt, temptation one, or probably it was like 51 for that day, I had actually been victorious because of the Word of God. So then I had to drive to Saxonburg. I was coming over here for a meeting, but I had to stop at the bank first. So I stop at First Commonwealth Bank, and my car's parked over by Kelly's, you know. And I get out of the you know, bank, come across the street. I get in my car. This is what happened. Okay, I turn on my key. I turn on my turn signal. I did not move my car. And there's a lady coming about, you know, from the corner there where the little church is. She's coming that way, and all of a sudden it's, Aah! I was like, are you kidding me? I looked around, you know, and she drives by. I'm like, what did I do? I have my turn signal on. I thought you're supposed to put your turn signal on when you pull out into traffic. You know, but again, I didn't get mad. I didn't chase her down the road, you know, driving the back end of her car or nothing like that. I just went, wow, God, be with that lady. I don't know what's wrong with her, but she's having a bad day. <laughs> so I drove down the street, came over to the church and had my meeting with the person, you know, with a smile on my face. The point of that is I succeeded because the word of God is always true. And if you use it, it will give you victory in your life. Now, here's the last thing I'm going to tell you this morning. 
For those two victories in my life, there are probably 252,000 defeats. I don't always win the war over temptation. And when you sin, that's a failure. And when you fail, the devil is going to whisper in your ear, failure, failure, failure. You're a failure. You might as well sin again because you already sinned once and you're going to sin again and you're going to keep on sinning and you're just going to be a sinner because you are a sinner. That's what you were born as. That's what you're going to be. And you might as well just end up in hell with me because that's what's going to happen to you. That's what the devil's going to tell you once you sin one time. Don't believe it. I learned a long time ago, failure is an event. It's not a person. Failure is an event. It's not a person. I have failed many times. I will probably fail many more times. And when I fail, here's what I do. I pull out this sword, and I turn to 1 John verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And I'm not going to probably quote it the way it's on the screen because I learned it this way. If we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God is just and faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wickedness, I think it says up there. Same deal. So here's the thing. If I am walking in sin for the moment, what that verse means is I can stop. I can stop. I can turn around, which puts me back facing God. I confess, God, I've sinned. I agree with you. You know what the word confess? Homologeo in Greek, it means to say the same thing. It means that I agree with God that I'm a sinner. So, I, God, I agree with you. I just sinned. And I repent, which means I just turned away from it. I'm turning back to you. So what are you going to do about it, God? And here's what God does about it. He forgives me. How many times will he forgive me? I don't know yet because I haven't found out the total number, but it's a lot. It's at least hundreds of thousands of times. He will always forgive us. That's why I love God so much, because he doesn't keep track. You know how some people keep track? Remember yesterday you did that? Remember last week you did that? Remember two years ago you did that? No, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, sure I do. But God doesn't. I mean, if you go to God today and say, God, I'm sorry I did that sin again, he's going to go, what sin again? I don't remember. Because he chooses not to. If we say we have no sin, and all of you said you were sinners at the beginning of the service, so we're all, we're all good. That sounds weird, doesn't it? We're all sinners, so we're good. Uh, but um, we're all good because we admitted we're sinners. If we say we have no sin, what do we do? We're lying to ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess, say the same thing, I'm a sinner. To God, he is just. He is just. He is faithful. He will forgive us. All our sins cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. That is so important to remember because today you will either win the war over temptation because you remember the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and you put it into practice in the power of the Holy Spirit, or you will fail. God prefers that you win. But when you fail and when I fail, we just have to go to his plan, which is to confess, repent, turn around, Go back to him. Be restored. And we're just like we never sinned again. That's the process. It's a long process. It's been going on in my life for 44 years and so far, and it isn't perfect yet. But on Thursday, I had two wins with some pretty nasty people. Okay? So I'll take the two wins. And today, you might have a couple wins. And tomorrow, you might have a couple wins. Every one of them, give the glory to God. 
Because you know what happens when you have those mountaintop experiences and you take the credit. It's not good. So here's today's commitment. When I am tempted this week, I will turn to God's word for the truth to overcome it. Now, we write these commitments months ahead of time. And when I looked at this one this week, I thought to myself, that's a good one, but it could have been better because it says, when I'm tempted this week, I'll turn to God's word. The, the problem with that commitment is if we wait until we are tempted to turn to God's word, it's too late. You know, unless it's already in there, it's too late. So my suggestion is let's turn to God's word now, like go home and read a little bit and tomorrow read a little bit more and read a little bit more every day. And then whenever you're tempted, the word will be in there. And if the word is in there, the sword is ready to be used. Now, um, some of you may have come in the room today for the first time, and you may not have even been in a church before. Maybe you've been in lots of churches, but you keep hearing me say, if Jesus is Lord, and I said to all these covenant disciples, who's your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And you might have never said, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. If you never have, then you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. So I would encourage you right at this very moment to say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you. I need you to come into my life and take away the sin, wash it away, make me clean. Become my Lord, which means master owner. Become my savior, which means I don't have to face death forever. I can be with you forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit right now so that I can live in victory. And if you do that, if you did that right now, I'd encourage you on that little connection card that I mentioned earlier on the very back here, put I committed my life to Jesus today and put your name and address and phone number so we can follow up with you and help you because, you know, following Jesus is indeed a team sport. So let's pray right now and offer our lives to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending Jesus to show us so many things, but especially Today, we thank you that he showed us how to win that war over temptation in our lives. And right now, we do give our lives to you. We pray that you would take them, that you would renew and restore them, that if there's any sin in us, that you would take it away, that you would uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all wickedness. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.